great to spend the morning with you. I know we live in a world that lacks leaders with values. We live in a world where we, our jobs might not have value. We have friendships that might not have value and purpose and worth. And, and we can struggle. We can struggle to find meaning in our life, purpose to live for. Uh, there's quiet quitting happening in our world, mental health's on the rise. Speaking as a, uh, one of the leaders of our church, speaking on the value, knowing that there's such a deficit in value in our society right now, it's a sobering thing. It's a sobering thing. I'm thrilled to be able to look with you, the Word of God, at part two of our Rooted series, looking at being rooted in a church, looking at our values as a church. And it's an honor to be able to spend some time with you. I'm, I'm thrilled for this topic. There's topics we get to preach on that I do it because it's in the Bible and it's good for me and it's good for you to hear. There's other topics that I get to pick. And so this is like candy for my soul. Does that make sense? This passage I picked, and when Dan went last week, he did an excellent job on our vision, which is making authentic disciples of Jesus Christ who love and worship God and all they do. And I was holding my breath when I was listening to him because I was hoping he didn't pick this passage, and he picked a different passage, and it was excellent. And so I was like, ah, I get to do the passage I want to do on, on, on our values as a church. So we bow your head and pray with me as we move forward here. God, I thank you for... I thank you for the value and the purpose and the vision that you lay out, a very robust, meaningful, all-life-encompassing pursuit laid out in the Bible. I think that we get to look at a part of that today. I thank you for how amazing and romantic and grand it is, Lord, the, the value and the vision you've given us as the people of God. As to just really help our souls to get rooted in your word, rooted in you, Jesus, and what you did for us on the gospel, and I pray that you just really help Help me to speak as I should, and help us to listen as we should as we go through this passage, God. I just thank you for the great grand vision you gave us, Lord, as your people. I thank you for the guiding values you gave us to keep us on track. I pray you just lead us and direct our time. Multiply this time. Multiply the word of God into the people of God's hearts to do the work of God in their hearts. I pray people would do business with you today and your Bible today. I pray they'd open their Bible and look at it and study it and take notes in it and wonder if this is true, what happens with my life as a result of this passage? We just commit ourselves and our time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So if vision is the destination, values gets us there. If vision is the steering wheel, values are the tires. But I propose to you there's a thing called culture, which is the engine of that car, a metaphorical car. I think there's a quote out there in the internet somewhere that says, Culture will eat your vision for breakfast, your values for lunch, and your mission statement for dinner. You can't coach culture. Culture's in the air, it's in the water, it just kind of seeps out of you as an organization. And when you're trying to think what passage helps capture the vision, the values, and the culture that makes up a healthy, vibrant local church, what passage do we want to root our minds in theologically this morning as we look at it? So just a spoiler alert, our three values as a church are gospel, community, and generosity with a vision spin. We have a culture spin on it that we have a gospel culture, a community culture, and generosity culture. And we really do think those are lived out. And they really do make our church tick along at a healthy rate. Um, and I'm so excited about this passage. Uh, Matthew 28, um, the background to this passage, because context is king. We have to know what's happening in the passage before we just look at the passage. We can't just telescope into those four verses and, you know, parachute in and get that evac out. We got to know what's happening before and after these few verses. So if you turn with me to Matthew 28, if you're looking for the House Bible, it's on page 487 on the House Bible. But Jesus had an opportunity in the history of the church. Jesus came along and he had a very clear galvanizing message to the, all the senior leaderships of the early church. 
And those 11 disciples at this time were at a variety of places. There's some early adapters that this is post-Jesus' resurrection, post-His crucifixion, when Jesus is Lord and He's living and eating and walking around the people of God. And there's some disciples that are early adapters. They're like, He's alive. He's Lord. This is awesome. And then there's the group, the middle pack of disciples that are kind of holding out, not sure what to do, kind of figuring out with each other what to do. And then there's some late adapters who are like, oh, I don't know. I won't believe unless, unless I can stick my finger in his hand and my, my hand in his side. But they had a variety of emotions. They were all over the place. If you looked at all four Gospels and looked at the emotions the early disciples were feeling at this time, there was incredible conflict. Some were filled with fear and some had doubt. Some were filled with courage and faith. There's trembling. There's anxiety, uncertainty, joy, worship. It was a mixed bag. And they were all over the map as a group of people hearing Jesus give these words. But obviously, Jesus in this text galvanized their hearts and gave them one vision, one set of values, one culture that imprinted that early church. And it obviously worked. If you, if you look into church history at the obituaries of the leading men that sat there and heard this message from Jesus, they have an intense way that they die. But it obviously worked. It galvanized their hearts. Let's look at this. Andrew, uh, church history says Andrew was died tied to a cross where he spent two days preaching to people who walked by. James died by a sword. John was boiled to death two times in oil and then died of old age on Patmos Island. Philip was scourged, thrown in prison, and then later crucified. Bartholomew was skinned alive and beheaded. Thomas was killed with a spear. Matthew was stabbed to death. The author of this book was stabbed to death. James was beaten, stoned, and then clubbed to death. Thaddeus was crucified. Simon was killed in Persia. Matthias was burned alive. Peter was crucified upside down because he did not want to be crucified the same way as his Lord and was crucified by his wife. And Paul, who later was Apostle Paul, was beheaded. This sermon, Jesus on the mountaintop outside of Galilee, Matthew 28, the very last few verses, this sermon galvanized their hearts and tied their hearts, their vision, their values all together in an amazing way that only God can. It, the, this sermon is where the early church rooted up and grew out of. If you look at the church history, if you look at church history and how much impact it's had, it is amazing to see what happens after with these men's lives. What happened with the men and women that are following Christ that heard this message on the mountain, how they took it around the world. Before I jump into that, let's read the passage together. Matthew 28. Look with me on, uh, sorry, in verse 16. It says this, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus said, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the ends of the age. These should be stirring words for a believer's heart. They're words that triggered a course of human events that led from this mountaintop experience to multiple other continents of the world being reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that gospel is continuing to this church around the world today. Jesus has been building his church from this moment forward. And so in Matthew 28, jumps right into the book of Acts, chronologically happens later. And you hear and read in the book of Acts how the, the, these believers heard this message and they took what was read and said in this passage. And they took it to Jerusalem, to Judea, and to Samaria. And then it stopped suddenly because that's when the book of Acts stops. 
its author stopped. But the reality is the church never stopped moving forward. The church continued to expand and explode, not only in Jerusalem area, but it grew into Europe with those barbarian hordes up in Europe that didn't know Jesus. The church expanded along the Roman roads and the Roman infrastructure and the stability that the Roman government brought. The early church grew into Europe and it grew into South Asia, into Africa. As the Rome expanded, the church expanded right with Rome. And even in our country, even in our country, when colonists and venture capitalists traveled across the Atlantic Ocean to expand and make wealth here in our country, along with them came missionaries to reach out to those people that were colonizing America and to the people that lived here that were being colonized. And when the, when the Western Front was expanded over the Appalachian Mountains, all the way across Nebraska, all the way across to the Oregon Trail, remember that game you used to play if you're my age, remember that? As at the tip of advancement of human society, all along with the advancement of our society into different parts of this globe, evangelists, missionaries, church planners have followed along up to Bellevue, Nebraska in 1856. That's the first church in Nebraska in 1856. To Lincoln, to you somehow. Somehow this global expansion, vision, values, culture-dripping sermon Jesus gave and the life he lived expanded a global enterprise around the world. The book of Acts is the story of Jesus building his church, and it continued from this mountaintop experience. We've got to unpack what and why did that happen in people's lives. What and why, what was Jesus saying, why did that make such a difference in people's lives that heard it? Let's look back at Matthew 18, Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus is the authority is the foundational bedrock that this whole text is built upon. Everything that's written from this passage flows out of that first line. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Everything that follows, all that is said, all that is acted upon in these, these early apostles' lives and the church's life is because of the authority that Jesus Christ has. Now this matters. Let's stop here and take a moment and really think about what this means. All, what does all mean? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, all. This matters. We're talking about Jesus' lordship. He's the king, he's the boss of all. You probably heard someone in your community group or someone in your discipleship group say, Jesus became my personal lord and savior on this date or that date. And that's fine. But if you're raised in a Christian house, it seems like I became saved at an early age, like nine or almost 10, I became a Christian. And I wasn't like, the lordship of my life was very a uh, limited range of how much lordship I had over my life. I was a kid. But when I grew up and I went off to school, I had to really embrace that, no, Jesus is actually the lord of my life. As a youth to an adult, if you became a Christian later in life, that lordship and that savior situation are the same. You get what I'm saying? But when you're raised in a church, you can kind of say verbiage that doesn't make sense. Jesus is the lord of your life, yes, but he didn't become Lord of the life because you said he's the Lord of your life. He is Lord of all, all of heaven and all of earth. If you took a moment and dug into this Lordship theme, if you looked at what does that mean all, and you spent two and a half hours reading through the book of Matthew, you would see not just Lord in heaven and earth here in chapter 28, but if you looked over the whole book, you'd see that Jesus has been demonstrating authority over nature and the nations, disease and demons, sin and death, Heaven and earth, we see in this last passage, and then lives and then every single person's life. You see Jesus just, just totally flexing on the authority flex throughout this entire book. So yes, he's meant to be Lord of your life, but if you acknowledge that or not, he is still Lord of all. 
You can confess Jesus as Lord and give him authority now. And that's what I encourage and plead of you to do. But if you don't, you will confess and acknowledge his lordship and his authority someday. Look at Philippians 2, 10 and 11. It says, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. All means all, church. Jesus is Lord of all, church. And all means all, believer. He should be Lord of all, King of all, boss of all, Lord of every single area of your life. He will reign over every area of your life. So in light of the authority and the Lordship of Jesus Christ, all, all authority for God, all authority for Jesus, what are we called to do? Let's look at verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. As a result of this reality that Jesus is in charge, he's authority over everything. What do we have to do with that information? We have to go, church. We have to go. Jesus' authority compels you to go. Jesus' authority is supposed to motivate you and give you confidence to go. Go where? Go to all nations, all ethnic groups. And that's what we see happen in the early church. Jesus' universal lordship required a universal mission, a grand mission, not a small man-made mission, not a small regional mission, a grand mission, a great commission is what this passage is probably called in your Bible, to tie the hearts of men and women together. So what are we aiming at, church? If you want to have a biblical view of what we're trying to be. A church's mission, if your church's mission is to reach the immediate neighborhood, that's okay. If your church's mission is to reach this area of town, that's fine. If your mission as a church is to reach that city, and that's better, that's not, that's not wrong, that's better. If your, your mission is to reach the region, you're getting closer. If your mission is to reach the nation, that's not bad. But our mission is to reach the world. That's the best mission we could be given. It's a global mission because God is Lord over this entire planet. Every dictator, every institution, every government thing, every political thing, every single business, every nook and cranny of this planet, God reigns over and he's Lord over all. And so it's natural for us to jump into this global pursuit of glorifying God and joining him in this grand mission. This Christian enterprise is a global endeavor. It requires global goals and a global effort as a church. And do you get the brilliance of that? This, this grand commission, this great commission where we take the gospel to the whole world. We can't do that without God. Could we reach this city without God? Maybe. Could we reach our nation without God? Not a chance. Could we reach this world without God? There ain't no way in the world we could reach this world without God. It's too big for us as people. It's too big for us as one church. So let's personalize this. If it's everyone's problem, it's no one's problem. So whose job is it to take the gospel of Jesus Christ and make disciples in your neighborhood and your network? Everyone raise your hand and go like this. Say, I am. Okay, you didn't hear. Go like this. Whose job is it to make disciples of your neighborhood and your network? Say, there we go. There we go. All right, college students, raise your hand. Raise your hand. Whose job is it to make disciples and evangelize at UNL? I am. And everyone else, raise your hand. Whose job is it to pay for it? <laughs> Say, uh, we are. We are. We love you, college kids. Uh, the Great Commission is our mission. And that's great news. And it's a global effort. Why? Because God is Lord of all. He's Lord of all of heaven and earth. 
and under the earth. He's Lord of everything, so it's natural for us to follow him in this global pursuit of reaching mankind. Talk about an amazing purpose. Like, go live the rest of your life and sell pop at Coca-Cola. Great. We're picking on Coca-Cola. You know, I worked in supply chain in the food industry, uh, and I fed Western America flower pipelines for years, and that's great. But if I was my only purpose, it lacked meaning and depth. If that's all I was doing was spreadsheets and conference calls, and now you guys have Zoom meetings, which is brutal. And so, like, if that's my whole purpose, that is a hollow, shallow purpose. We're invited to a deeper, more beautiful, ro romantic, robust purpose. It's a lifelong global pursuit of making disciples of all nations. We were able to buy this church building from a previous congregation who ran through its life cycle, and they generously sold us this building, and that's amazing. But early when they built it, they made a thing called the Jerusalem Cross out here. It's this giant structure that's two stories tall, and it's got these four crosses, where like the cross, the horizontal bar, the cross intertwines with each other. And the premise behind the idea, the artistic, the, the image in Christianity is that the gospel of Jesus Christ will go to the four corners of the world. That's it. That's the grand, great mission we're, we're swept in, into, Christian. Young and old, rich and poor, we are part of this mission because we're part of the kingdom of God. And why do we go? We go because Jesus is worthy of that mission. Look with me at Revelation 7, 9 and 10. This, this passage shows the global vision of, vision of all ethnic groups being reached by the Great Commission. Verse 9 says, after this, I looked to behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne of the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This mission is going to be completed because of our effort? No, because Jesus is going to fulfill his plan for reaching this world. Now, we're going to go hot it hard in the paint. You get what I'm saying? We're all in on this. But Christian, this is God's mission, and he's orchestrating the events of mankind and the events of your neighborhood and your network. We get to get wrapped up in that amazing picture of Revelations. But look back. In Daniel 7, verse 14, 500 years before Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, there's a prediction, a foreshadowing of the prophet talking about this. He says this foreshadows what we just read. He was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, every people, nation and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. This has been God's plan, perfectly orchestrated to save the nations, all the ethnic groups around the globe. We do it because God is worthy. He's Lord of all and he's worthy. Worshipful, motivational service is in our hearts as we fulfill the rest of this passage. So what do we do? What do we do when we get there? When we go and we make, what do we do? We go and we make disciples. What do we do when we get there? We make disciples. So it's common in this culture for a Jewish rabbi to have people follow him. And they're like, I follow. I <laughs> Some people, I follow this um, Rabbi Zane and I follow... Uh, you know, I follow Rabbi Fellers, and I follow Rabbi Unger, and I follow... I mean, that was the tribal rabbi thing was a thing. But they weren't baptizing them in the name of Paul and Peter and John and Matthew. They are baptizing in the name of Jesus because he's Lord of all and he's deity. That's unique. That's, that's important. All authority, and we're given that authority to go and make disciples of Jesus. 
Every disciple of Jesus is called to make disciples of Jesus, not themselves. Like it's natural for me to get married and have my wife, my sweet dear wife, and we have these cute little kids and they grow up and they look like me, they talk like me, they dress like me, an Asian version of me. Um, that's, that's my disciples and their kids and they're walking around and you're like, if Mike was an Asian, that's what he might look like. You know, that's funny. Huh? But in general, we make, we make little mini me's all the time and we don't have to get married and have kids to do that. You hang out with people enough. You start dressing alike, talking alike, looking alike, have the same interests. You start to become discipled by each other. Our job is not to like make a bunch of mini me's and mini you's. Our job is to make many disciples of Jesus. Our job is to make many disciples of... Come on, church. Good job. So don't make disciples of yourself. Make disciples of Jesus. So think about this. Your community group leader has been praying that you look more like Jesus because you go to that community group. Your discipleship group leader wants to draw you into deeper love and appreciation for Jesus. And if that's not their heart, find a different community group or a different discipleship group. I'm kidding. That is their heart. That is their heart to help you grow in your walk of Jesus. But the purpose of our church is to make disciples. So I have here soapbox. And this is like my soapbox. I feel like I do this at time all the time in our Discover class. But our job is not to make you politically affiliated a certain direction. Our job is not to have a production band and you come and oodle and oddle out of amazing bands. I mean, those, that's not bad, but that's not the job. Our job is not to have programs that offer you goods and services. You get what I'm saying? This daycare, that school, this support group. Our job is not to have a personality platform that you come and you worship the personality. Do you get our Christian culture? That's an idol. We're suckers. We make, we make pastors that we worship. And we come and we listen. I only want my pastor to preach like Billy Bob because Billy Bob's the best preacher out there. And Billy Bob writes the best books and the best podcasts and the best blogs. Have you seen Billy Grab's hard part? It's so great. I'm just kidding. I don't know. <laughs> Do you get what I'm saying? Our job is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And that's going to look different than the way the world tries to disciple you. That's going to look different than the way the world worships. That's going to look different. But you need to look like Jesus Christ. I wrote this passage down this morning in my reading. Isaiah 53. Verse 3, it's talking about Jesus. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone who people turned away from. He was despised. We didn't value him. Yet he bore our sickness and he carried our pains. But we in turn regarded him stricken and struck and down by God and afflicted. He was pierced because of our rebellion and crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment from our peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. Now that is what we're worshiping, Christian. We're not worshiping the best, latest, greatest, shiniest object that Christianity spits up. That's silly. We're not suckers, I don't think. We're not. We are here to make disciples of Jesus. And if like, I use the analogy, heard it from my friend in college, he, it stuck with me up till now. If we're a shoe company, and we have a nice shiny shoe logo and shoe websites and search engine optimization for shoes. And we have shoe branding and we have shoe TV ads in the commercial on the Super Bowl. And we have shoes, celebrity endorsements. And we have all these employees coming in to make shoes. And we have all these HR for shoes. And we have all this work for shoes. We have a shoe shareholder meeting. We all come and talk about the company of shoes. But our shoe manufacturing company never makes a single shoe. We're not a shoe manufacturing company. We're a con. We're not that. We're a, we as a church... Do all this stuff to make disciples. That is our purpose. Because Jesus said it's our purpose. 
Jesus said it's supposed to be our purpose. Go and make disciples of all ethnic groups, all nations. If you've been in this church for five or ten years and you've never made a disciple, is that the church's fault or is that your fault? I mean, you have time. You're still alive. You can make a disciple and be a great disciple maker, helping grow people up in their faith. But that is our, we're really, that's the one thing we're going after is discipleship, making disciples. I think you should smell it in the water about by now. That's kind of what we're trying to be about. I think if you, that's news to you, well, good. I'm glad you heard it. But every Christian is supposed to be a disciple and every Christian is supposed to be a disciple maker. I just think every Christian isn't making disciples. They're just making disciples of themselves. You're probably making a disciple of yourself, not Christ. But to be a disciple of Jesus is to be the disciple maker. I don't want us to be sucked into celebrity. We, we worship celebrity as a society. We watch Hollywood all the time. And our churches are the worst offenders of getting sucked into celebrity. Obviously, there's no famous Christians in this room. But I'm saying, don't be sucked into the culture's idol. It's worshiping a person and a personality. The purpose of the church is that you would worship Jesus and be making disciples. The purpose of the church is that you have disciples that are growing up and going out of your church to go make more disciples. I think there's a reality here that we cannot make mature disciples alone. We need each other. Because I don't have every single spiritual gift maxed out. Does that make sense? I have some gaping holes in my spiritual gift mix that I have. And in light of that reality, we have five men who are, have pastoral experience of over 80 years that are working with a two-year leadership cohort residency with 16 of our community group leaders. We're working through the nine marks of a healthy church. And they have a range of calls. Some want to just be a community group leader, and that's it. And others want to be a bivocational pastor at this church or some other church, and that's it. Others want to go plant a church or be a church planner, and that's it. Others want to go be a missionary overseas, and that's it. That's great. Everyone have a unique call in their life, but it's our job of us five mentors and eight years of experience to float between them because I spent 100 days of Dan, and I spent 100 days of Mike, I spent 100 days of Shane, I spent 100 days of Ben, I spent 100 days of John, and I'm floating between all five of our mentors, and I'm getting a range of gifting, experience, temperaments, and I'm seeing a better picture of Jesus from those, those five men. If Jesus walked in our cohort one morning, we would rename it Christ Cohort, and we would not break up into different groups and shuffle every hundred days. We would sit at Jesus' feet. Does that make sense? And I wouldn't have to bring Krispy Kremes anymore, because he can make anything he wants. We could have Christian chicken for lunch. It'd be great. But do you get what I'm saying? The gifts of that, Jesus had the perfect manifestation of what it meant to be a disciple maker. It was divided throughout the church, and to get disciples, you have to find those in the church. It's not like I own and possess someone the rest of my life. They're disciples of Jesus. So they're with me for a season, and they go off to someone else that teaches and grows them in an area. Then they go somewhere else, and they grow in a different area. I know I don't have all the gifts. I can tell you which ones I don't have, and you can guess, <laughs> and you wouldn't be that wrong. But I do have some strengths, and that's what I want to offer. But churches make disciples very effectively, if that's what they make. They go after that with reckless abandonment. All right, so what do we do when you get there? After we go and we make and we baptize, verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus' disciples are talking now, and it matters, because Jesus is Lord, and he's risen from the dead. So now, these guys followed Jesus for three years. Tell us about Jesus. 
Jesus has gone off here at the end of this chapter, and they're speaking for the first time, and they have something they've not really had a lot of before. They have the words of God, the authority that comes of giving the teaching of God. And that's what's sober about trying to preach through the Bible. Because there's authority in this Bible. Because this is God's Bible. God spoke to people through this Bible. And heaven forbid we actually change our life because of something that you saw in the Bible. I better be right. And you better be right. But the authority of Jesus was put into these words on this Bible as we hear what he said and what he did as we read about the letters to the churches from those early apostles. This whole Bible, from beginning to end, has authority over your life. This is the teaching them to do everything I've commanded you to do is in the Bible. If you're going to church week after week and people aren't opening the Bible, you're going to community group and they aren't opening the Bible, and you're not learning what has been taught in the Bible, what are you doing? There's authority given to the disciples to do God's work with this Bible. By teaching with authority, using Jesus' message as theology. What are they teaching? All that he commanded them to do. To make disciples is not complete unless it leads to a life of observing and obeying Jesus' teachings. The rest of your life, church, observe and obey and know this Bible because that's the teachings of Jesus. That's what we need. Be very skeptical of people who aren't opening and reading and attempting to understand and explain the Bible. You can sit through a counseling session and a counselor never cracks open the Bible. Is it Christian counseling? If you sit in a community group and your community group leader is not sourcing the Bible, is it a biblical community group? If your church isn't attempting to understand and know the Bible better, as best as our finite human minds can get it, we have to immerse our minds and our lives in the Word of God. My job is not to be an ESPN commentary on culture. That's not my job. I think it'd be fun, but that's not my job. That's not the supreme thing. The supreme thing that has authority is the Word of God. That is not my calling in life, is to be a commentator on the world. I'm not a talk radio guy. My job is to understand and study and learn and obey the Bible. That's your job. The teachings of Jesus is what we're going after, church. There's this teaching that Jesus has his theme. A lot of the proud and grace of the humble. But listen, Jesus' teachings had teeth. If the teaching never hurts, is it helping you? You go to the gym and you're working out and you leave and you don't break a sweat and you aren't sore the next day. Did you work out or did you just go and look good in public? I mean, did you work out? If your Christian teachings of Jesus don't ever hurt and sting, are they actually biblical teachings? Now, I'm not saying you go to church and your pastor blows out your MCL and your, your walk of God is on crutches the next six months. I'm not saying that, okay? I'm not, we're not trying to like harm people with the Bible and weaponize the Bible, you know, get what I'm saying. But the teaching of Jesus has Lord and authority over everything. Jesus is the one who's speaking. He's not just a person. He's God. He has Lord and authority over everything. And he told us how to live, how to think, what values and motivations should be in our life. Our job as pastors is not to give squishy, warm, feel-good sermons that are positive and encouraging for your day. Our job is to feed on the Word of God. All of it. The meat and potatoes and the candy and kale. All the parts that I love and I hate. I got to understand and consume the Word of God because it makes me like Jesus. It's like you're a sponge. Your brain's a sponge. You want to fill it up with so much scripture that when you get squeezed and out comes something you say or something you do, it smells and looks like a Christian, a disciple of Jesus. You need to fill that sponge mind of yours with the Word of God, with sound biblical expository preaching. 
when you speak, Christian, and you're trying to teach someone all that God has commanded them to do, it's a solemn, heavy thing to teach them what Jesus said to do. You're supposed to be speaking and teaching the Word of God, and that's heavy. So lastly, this brings us to the, the concept of presence. And presence, I will be with you always, is a very reassuring thing for them. But that was to them. I will be with you always is the disciples. That's his audience. And then to the ends of the age, that's you and me. Jesus' presence, feeling God's presence in your life, comes when you obey God of making disciples, of teaching them what Jesus said to do, and of baptizing them. That's when you feel the presence of God. You're like, I don't feel the presence of God at my work. Maybe you should do what Jesus said to do at your work. Go, make, baptize, teach. I don't want to do that. I can't do that at my work. Well, then we'll send you overseas to the International Mission Board, and they'll send you overseas, and you can do it there. But you don't know how to work, but I still think you can do it overseas. But do you get what I'm saying? Like, if you want to feel God's presence, like, Pastor, we're in a dry spell. It's been kind of hard. Well, are you obeying? Is there a younger Christian in this church that doesn't know what you know and isn't doing what you're doing that you can teach them what you know and teach them what you do? There definitely are. If you start making a disciple in this church, it'll feel really fun and exciting. This Bible comes alive for obeying people. <laughs> Obey carefully, Christian. Speak carefully, because you're supposed to be speaking in the words of God. Me and uh, two members of our church were out sharing the gospel two, three weeks ago, four weeks ago. It, was, it wasn't a glorious experience. We were a little scared. And we needed God's presence to do the work of God to the people that needed God. But you need God's presence to go to community group. You need God's presence to confess that sin in discipleship group. You need God's presence to get up and serve on Sunday morning. You need God's presence to come on Saturday and pull weeds so we don't look like a hot mess on Sunday morning. You need God's presence to pick up trash here around the building. You need God's presence to love your roommate well. You need God's presence to read your Bible faithfully and journal faithfully. You need God's presence as you obey what he teaches you to do and live the way you're called to live, Christian. But God's presence is one of those themes that's in this book of Matthew. At the very beginning of Matthew 1, verse 23, you read about this child who's promised, whose name, one of his names is Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's Jesus. Then you fast forward to the very end of the passage, the very end of the book of the Bible, we talk about God's presence. I am with you always to the ends of the age. Jesus' presence is key for any Christian work. And if you don't sense Jesus' presence in your life, you need to do what Jesus said to do in your life. You need to not just sit and think, but you need to go and pray and obey. Can we all agree that Christianity is at its very best when we, the people of God, are on mission of God? Can we agree with that? Christianity is at its very best when we're actually doing what we're supposed to do, of being on mission to people that are far from God. You're like, oh, I don't know about that. Well, can we all agree that Christianity is at its very worst when we stop doing the mission of God and we stop obeying what the Bible tells us to do and stop caring for people that are far from God, bringing them into the kingdom of God and making them into disciples? Because if we're not making disciples as a church, we're making something. We're making something. There's 6,000 6, people groups in the world that do not know of Jesus. They don't know anyone that they know knows of Jesus. There's 6,000 people, ethnic groups, on this planet that do not know who Christ is. Go make disciples and baptize them. Teach them to do everything I've commanded you, and though I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. As you try to tie this together and close, remember vision, values, and cultures is what I proposed at the beginning. I would say go and make. You could make a case for that's our gospel culture. We share the word. It's absolutely foundational in making disciples. Teaching and baptizing. I'd say it's like the theology and liveology come together with relationship with other people. 
in relationship with God, that's our community culture. I mean, Christianity is the ultimate team sport. And then we're leaning into that as a church with our plurality, with trying to get people in the community groups. Like if, if you and your Bible is all you want, really it's you and YouTube and Animal Crossing. Let's not act like it's, it doesn't go that deep that long. You need other people to grow in a deeper walk of God. You become like the people you surround yourselves with. You alone is not what we see in the Bible. We see teams of Christians doing the work of God to advance the gospel into that city. I'll be with you always to the end of the age. That's our missionology. That's where we see our generosity culture. And we're trying to grow into that. We're at 6% of our giving is going to church plants and missionaries around the globe. We're hoping to jump that to 9 or so percent this next year. We're trying to lean into that as a church of mobilizing the blessings that God has given us to make a difference around the world. It's exciting how God's answering the prayers as our members are praying for that. It's amazing how that's happening. We think that's flushed down your generosity if you're being on mission with the time God has given you, the talent God has given you, and the treasure God has given you. Uh, as I close, there's a sobering scholar wrote something about this passage. He said, if Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world, and if he rose from the grave in victory over sin and death, and if there is no one like him, and he reigns as Lord over all, and then telling a lost world about Jesus is the only thing that makes sense. What doesn't make sense is millions of Christians sitting back and saying nothing to the nations. Matthew 18 is a challenging call to Christians to respond and act like Christians. And be a Christian everywhere and make disciples everywhere. These words should shake your heart, awaken your heart, from not just individually, but as a collective group to be the kind of church that we see laid out in the book of Acts in the New Testament. You and I are a part of his story in history. And we were commissioned at the Great Commission. So what was today's sermon about? When you're driving home with your roommate, what was today's sermon about? We're in the army now, is what it feels like to me. I don't know what you're feeling out there. You gotta make disciples, they got it. But I was like, we're in the army. You're like, I didn't sign up for that kind of Christianity. I was like, the easygoing social club Christianity. Well, I don't see that in the Bible. You know, this health and wealth Christianity, that's not in the Bible. I mean, that's, I don't know what Bible those churches are reading from, but it's not in your Bible. So we're enlisted, we're commissioned, we're, we're given vision and value in a culture we're supposed to run in light of, of making disciples around the world, Christian. What, is that, what would it look like for you to live out these values this week? Well, if you're new to Sower Church and you do know Christ, enlist. Come next month to the Discover class, which I'm supposed to be leading, the fourth Sunday of the month. Join a rooted community group as we go through these basic pillars of Christianity, these very fundamental basics 101 of Christianity. Come, sign up, get connected, get plugged in. We'll roll with you for, I think it's 10, 11 weeks. If you're new to Christianity and Christ is not the Lord of your life at this time, you've not bowed your knee to the Lordship of Christ. He doesn't have authority over your life. Well, fill out a connect card. We'd love to connect with you. I'll call you. I'll email you. Whatever you put in there, I'd love to visit with you more about that. Or I can hand it off to another leader. And we will come find you and talk with you more. We can talk in the lobby. If you're like, I don't want to talk in the lobby. Mike, you might cry. I might cry. So let's talk somewhere else. Does that make sense? But we, we'd love to connect and help you as a church. There's a bunch of great leaders that would love to follow up with you, answer questions. But there's great resources we have, great tracks we have all over the place in that resource area and that connect table. Grab a track, read it. There's Bible studies in the beginning in Christ. Simple steps. The simple Bible study you can take by yourself and do together or you can do with someone else. You can do it alone. 
There's thousands of people who have gotten saved using that beginning Christ Bible study because they read the Bible and they answer the question and they work through it. Take a step. If he's Lord of your life and you're feeling like you need to make him Lord of your life, you need to confess your sins, you need to turn from the sins you're pursuing, you need to let him become Lord of your life over everything, take a step. If you're not new to this concept of church or Christianity, and this is your church home, you're a member here, there is glory in the grind of gospel work, Christian. We're praying for more laborers, and God's been answering that prayer at church. But it's work. It's labor. But think back to what it was like when you first started following Christ, Christian. You're like, Mike, I've sat through a lot of fall launches, a lot of August. We're in September's and a lot of people. I've been around a little bit. There's people that came to you when you're a lawn believer or a baby in the faith, and they really invested in you. They not only shared Christ with you, but they shared what Christ said. They shared what the Bible said. They discipled you. They didn't just blow in and blow up with words and then blow out. They joined you, and they became your friend. There's plenty of people around to invest in, Christian. Do it because God's presence, because you're worshiping God, because you love God, because there's meaning in this life and there's purpose in this life when you get life the way God says to give it. Give yourself over to the vision here in Matthew 28 to make disciples. And at, and at a large capacity or small capacity, pray that God will use you. I pray before every heavy conversation or sermon, if it's four foot one or four foot long, God, put me in the game. I just want to be in the game. That's the heart that we want to have as we disciple people because we're leading them into what kind of heart to have. God wants to use you, Christian. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for this time. I ask that you just encourage and instruct us in the word. Whatever I share that was dumb, I pray that you just help people forget about. I pray that whatever is helpful to grow them into a deeper love of you, of being discipled by you, that you would really instruct and encourage us, Lord, to recommit and commit to being about the main thing disciple making. We just commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen.